And I just pray that you will build faith so that we compare our challenges with the greatness of God. And those challenges will just fade in comparison to the reality of who God is. I just pray now, Lord Jesus, that you'll take the living word of God, that you will not just inform our minds, but you will transform our hearts, that we would leave change because we've been in your presence, sung praises to the living God, and we've heard from your living word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Our mission impossible is what Jesus has given to all of us. Have you ever wanted to know the truth so bad that you stayed up all night to discover it? I'm not talking about staying up all night to study for a final exam. We probably all have done that. Or the case of the man who stayed up all night to see where the sun went. Finally dawned on him. (laughs) Just seeing if you're awake, just checking. I'm talking about an, an inner hunger, an inner drive so intense that one will go to great lengths and take significant risks just to discover the truth. We actually see it happen every day. The scientist in the laboratory who stays up till all hours of the night to finish an important experiment. The computer programmer who works around the clock to develop a new program. The team of forensic experts who burn the midnight oil in order to solve a crime the rescue workers who work 24 hours a day without a break to see if anyone else is alive in the earthquake rubble. The truth, whatever the truth is, we pay a huge price, take risks, expend enormous energy and lose sleep, and we cannot rest until we know. Martin Luther, the founder of the Christian Reformation, was one such figure. He spent many a sleepless night searching for spiritual truth. But long before Martin Luther, there was another man who embarked on a journey to discover truth. In essence, his entire life was dedicated to truth and its discovery. And in this one instance, he carried his search late into the night. His name, Nicodemus. His search brought him to a man named Jesus. His questions, as relevant today, as back then. Today we're gonna look at Sleepless in Jerusalem. I wanna read about it as we continue our series, Mission Impossible, God's Plan to Save the Planet. Let's turn to John 3. You can look at it on your tablet device, your Android or your iPhone or iPad or whatever it is, or you can actually open a book if you want. It's the old fashioned way, or you can look at it on PowerPoint too. Anyway, it's fine. Okay, John, we're going to look at the third chapter, starting with verse 1, a familiar passage to many, perhaps not all. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. 
How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now for us to understand what's going on here in this context, we really need to understand Nicodemus. Who was Nicodemus? Who was he, where, where was he coming from? What truth was he seeking? What is he afraid of? And were his questions answered? Or was his sleepless night worth it? And of course then there's the so what? What difference does it make to us today? What difference does it make? Well let's look at Nicodemus, who was he? He was a, what's called a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, he studied Jewish religious and civil law, he observed the laws, he was considered a protector of the law, and it was his job to make sure that all the Jews obeyed the law and did what it was said. He was educated highly, he was very moral, and he was strict in his religious observance of all Jewish law. So that's where he started. He was also, it says he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. There There was this uneasy alliance between the occupation rulers, who were the Romans, and the Jewish government. It really was an alliance of church and state if you look at it carefully. The Romans, even though they were superstitious, were in essence secularists. They really didn't believe in any one God or you know, it didn't really matter. The Jewish government, however, was religious and their goal was a theocracy headed up by the one true God. And there were certain functions that Roman leadership allowed the Jewish ruling council to perform. And they wielded a lot of influence because they took the responsibility to keep these cantankerous Jewish people in line. That was their job. See, the occupation of a foreign country isn't all it's cracked up to be, as we know as uh, United States of America. Nicodemus was politically connected. He was wealthy. He was prominent. He was well-known. He could easily be recognized on the street or at the mall because he was well-known. But even though he had this political power, he had the wealth and fame, he had everything somebody could want, he was missing one ingredient. That was truth. Truth. In spite of all the knowledge he had, he was still seeking truth. He was a seeker of truth. He wanted to know the truth. And it's significant that he came to Jesus at night. Evidently there were some some risk in being associated with Jesus. I think Jesus by this time had already upset the religious establishment. But Nicodemus wanted truth. Now the first 
Part of this exchange looks as if Nicodemus made a statement, but Jesus answered it as a question. Kind of an interesting context here. In verse two it says, he came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. Now, the, the, the background for that statement is that the Jews had been, at, at least for the last 400 years, had been under occupation by for, most of the time by foreign occupiers. And every Jew alive expected a deliverer. They were looking for a deliverer that was called the Messiah. And it wasn't just that they wanted political freedom, they wanted their religious freedom so they, they could practice their religion and their faith with, complete with Old Testament sacrifices and everything at the temple. So they were looking for the Messiah and this Messiah was to establish the kingdom of God. It was gonna be a theocracy where we worship the one true God and we reestablish the nation of Israel. So when Nicodemus said, I know you are a teacher come from God, it was equivalent to asking are you the Messiah who's coming from God? In other words, are you the one that is coming to, to set up this kingdom of God? It was, how do we move forward with this God of the universe? And I don't know if you can identify with Nicodemus at all. Um, you may or may not be politically connected, wealthy or prominent, but the question is, are you like Nicodemus, a seeker of truth today. Maybe you have questions about religion, maybe you have questions about God, questions about the Bible, questions about Christianity, maybe questions about the central figure of Christianity, this man Jesus. We all need to ask the question that he asked. Are you the expected Messiah who will bring the kingdom of God? In other words, was this Jesus who he said he was and who he claimed to be? That's a question that should be burning in all of us because there were claims that Jesus made and we've got to ask, is he and was he the Messiah? Now the response that Jesus gave, as we look at the man Jesus, totally baffled Nicodemus. And this is, to, you've got to understand, this is totally a left field for him. Jesus' answer says, I tell you the truth, Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying, the kingdom of, kingdom of God is coming, I'm bringing it, but unless you're born again, you can't see it. You can't perceive it, you cannot know it. Nicodemus, you're looking for the kingdom of God, do you want truth about God's rule, about God's agenda, his plan for Israel, for you? Do you wanna see and experience God's plan? He said, you need to be born again. Born again? I mean, where did that come from? And since Nicodemus is thinking in the logical, in the physical dimension, he follows up with a logical question, probably the question that we would have asked. How can a person be born physically twice? Well, what did Jesus mean by born again? He gives us some, some, some hints here. P people say born again, isn't, isn't that the phrase that Jimmy Carter came up in the 76th presidential election? Wasn't he the one that originated that? Or maybe it was Billy Graham that talked about being born again or whatever. No, the first person to use the phrase born again was Jesus. But what did he mean by born again? I'm glad you asked that question. What did Jesus mean by born again? And he's going to elucidate this. And it's a little bit complicated, so hopefully as we unpack this, we'll all know exactly what he meant. What born again means is, first of all, number one, a new beginning spiritually. A new beginning spiritually. Now most of us, all of us, were born at a very early age and we started a brand new existence, okay? You were born, so you were obviously here. 
And when you were born, you had no past, you had no mistakes, no baggage. All you had was future, only future. And we are all physical beings, but we are also spiritual beings. And the real person is much more than the physical being that we see. We have body, but we also have soul and spirit. When we look at our physical lives, a lot of us would say, man, if I could only live my life over, or if I, how many of you have ever said, if I could ever do that again, or do that over again, do something else, yeah. We make mistakes, and we go, oh man, I'd, I'd like a do-over. Well, being born again is like starting life new, a new start. And no matter where we are in our past, no matter what we've experienced, mess in our life or whatever, being born again is a brand new start spiritually. The old life is irrelevant. Jesus offered a new start. And God accomplishes this life transformation, a new beginning spiritually. It's a change of the inner person, the outside and the physical is irrelevant. The past in essence is irrelevant. This is a new beginning spiritually. Secondly, born again is initiated and accomplished by God. In other words, this is God's job. It's initiated by God, the spirit God gives spirit, birth to spirit. See, the spirit gives birth to spirit, the flesh gives birth to flesh. And this is God's work, God the spirit's work. It's not my work, it's not your work. You cannot make yourself a new person. Now we can, we can take uh, New Year's resolutions and we can take things that we wanna do or whatever, but we cannot make ourselves new pre- people. We cannot give ourselves a new start. I cannot leave it all behind and start over, but God can accomplish that in each and every one of us. It's God's job to give us new life spiritually. Closely related to this, being born again is not an earned right, but a birth right. Did anyone here earn the right to be born into your family? Do you have anything, anybody here have anything to do with your birth? Okay. I didn't. I had nothing to do with my birth. Someone else has to take credit for my birth. I just showed up, just like all of us, we showed up. Some people think that this born again experience is something we work at, something we earn, something we accomplish. It is not. It's not an earned right, it's a birthright accomplished by God. God brings this new birth, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Fourthly, being born again, means that changes are obvious and observable. Changes are obvious and observable. Now he gives the illustration of a wind. Now we don't see the wind, we hear the wind. We see the effects, we feel the wind. The effects of wind are obvious. And Jesus says to Nicodemus and to us, the process of being born again is observable. You can see the difference of the before and after. There's a significant difference between life in the womb and life outside the womb. There's a definite time or point of transition from the old to the new, the womb to the world, before birth and after birth. In fact, we have these these celebrations called birthdays and you go to a restaurant, put funny hats on, they sing these awful songs and embarrass you and do all this craziness to celebrate your transition from before and after, okay? And obviously that happened to every one of us, we're here. Birth is a change point, and there's a definite change, there's a new beginning from the old to the new. And when, when we were born, all of us, some, some took longer than others to be born. 
We have two daughters, and, and I went through labor twice. And, <laughs> and I remember, that, I mean, it was painful. It was the, the sixth, <laughs> the first, Judy's gonna get me tonight. I know, it's in here. The, the first one went longer than the second one, but there was a birthing process and it took time. There was a process that took place. And you can, you can argue it took nine months and then it took the six, eight, 12, 18, whatever, however long you were in labor. Uh, but whatever it was, there was a process. But the biggest issue is that there was a difference in process, difference in timing, but there was a difference between before and after. And when we are born again in the spiritual sense, there is a Difference in the before and after. We change, expect it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. There's a change between the before and after. That's the mystery of being born again. And like wind, we hear, we feel, we see changes and effects. And we're changed on the inside, our spiritual state of being. We enter a new state of being, a new life, but it produces outward manifestations. If you have not experienced change, ask God, have I been born again? We must experience change. Now, let me just say this. There are many here that gave your life to Christ when you were very young, and you're not gonna see as dramatic a change because you haven't had, uh, you're four years old or seven years old, and you haven't had time to get into all this kind of mess in the life and sin, so you're gonna see less change. And some people struggle with that, and they say, I don't, re- I don't have this great, uh, testimony or story about the before and after, that's okay. What you have is a great story of preservation. The change that happened, there are people that go out and make a huge mess of their life, they get saved, there's a huge difference between before and after. For some, it's less dramatic on the before and after, but the fact that you are there today is a story of God's preservation, and that's just as great of a miracle as a change before and after. Does that make sense? Because some people say, I don't have this great testimony everybody else has, that's okay. The process of the new birth needs to be celebrated in its change from darkness to light. And sometimes we marvel at the power of God to, to transform a life and forget the marvel of God's power to preserve a life. So what born again means is a new beginning spiritually. Two, it's initiated and accomplished by God. It's a birthright, not an earned right. And the changes are obvious and observable. The next part is what makes born again and <clears throat> born again possible? What makes born again possible? Now here's, here's the verses 14 and 15. Say this, Jesus is telling the story. He said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. What do snakes have to do with this? That's the first question. Didn't you have that question? Have you never asked that question? You need to ask that question. What do snakes have to do with it? Thank you for asking that question. Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience, and this is referring to an event in the history of the nation of Israel. Now, uh, when the trustees get everything up to code, there will be an exit sign above that door. And exit, I said that for Brant's sake, anyway. An exit means this is the way out, okay? So when you go back there, there are exit signs back there. Exit, the word exodus and exit are kind of from the same root word. And the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and they had an exodus, which was God's miraculous deliverance from slavery to freedom. So they went from exodus, and the whole of their history, they celebrate the exodus. 
And, and a lot of things happened during the Exodus. And one of the things that they did when they left and wandered for 40 years and then found out all that God had for them in the promise and establishment of Israel and the nation of Israel, during that time in between the Exodus and the occupation of the land, they sinned. Um, no, yeah, they did, they sinned. Um, and I know it's hard to believe that in that 40 years they actually did sin, but it, and, and God sent judgment. Now that judgment was sent to bring them back to God. Just, just a side note, whenever God sends judgment to the people of God, it's to drive them back to God. It's always restorative, it's always redemptive. It's not to destroy people, it's to drive us back to God and realize our need for God. And so he sent judgment because they sinned, and it, this judgment was in the form of snakes, poisonous snakes, and I know I hate snakes, okay? I'm not alone, I'm sure. But along with this judgment of poisonous snakes came salvation. Moses sought God, God instructed him to make a provision to be delivered from their sin and the consequences of their sin. And God's provision was a bronze snake on a pole. That would not have been my solution, okay? I don't know why that happened. He said, I'm gonna want you to put a bronze snake on a pole. And anyone who was bitten would just need to look at the bronze snake on the pole and believe and live. They would live. It's weird, huh? I mean, can just, just put yourself in their shoes. Okay, you got bit by a snake, you look at that, believe that God will heal you, and you live. It really happened. Now, Nicodemus, in our story, would have taught that story. He was very familiar with that look of faith and the story of the bronze snake on that pole. And so Jesus uses this illustration, or this story as an illustration, he tells Nicodemus that, and he tells us today that Jesus, the Son of Man, is going to be lifted up on a pole, a stick, a cross. And when people look to him by faith and believe, even though they're bitten by death, they will live. Does that make sense? It doesn't to me either. I don't know how God does this, but God does it somehow. God used that in the Old Testament and he uses that as an illustration to say to Nicodemus, this is what is going to happen to Jesus. So what makes born again possible? In the context of that history, what makes it possible? Number one is Jesus' death, Jesus' death. How can death produce life? I will never forget one of the pictures taken from a video camera in the stairwell of the World Trade Towers in New York City in 9-11. It was during 9-11. There was a, there was a camera in one of those stairwells that was pointed down. And one of the pictures, the snapshots they took off of that was a series of firefighters coming up the stairways going into the building. And the other side of the picture were a bunch of people going down out of the building. Firefighters went in to get people out and they in essence gave their lives so those people could live. Those firefighters died instead of those people, in place of those people, the ones they saved. Their death produced life. They were the substitutes. It's a concept of sacrifice or substitutionary atonement. That's what Jesus did. He died so we could live. He said the Son of Man must be lifted up 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, looks at him, puts their trust in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus died to pay for our sins, our shortcomings, our inabilities in order that we could be acceptable to a holy, perfect God. Our debt needed to be paid and Jesus did that. I don't like to carry an analogy too far, but I would say that some of the people in the World Trade Center were panicked and didn't know what to do. They were unable to make it to safety. They could not save themselves. And the firefighters gave their lives because of those inabilities and their shortcomings so they could live. And Jesus died to make up for our shortcomings, our inability to save ourselves, our sins, so that we could live. Do I? totally understand this any more than I understand the wind or spiritual birth or being born again? Life coming through the death of firefighters? Life coming through the death of Jesus? I don't understand it all. What I do know is that it is true. It is true. Truth That's what Nicodemus was looking for. And I hope we're looking for it today. Someone once said, if if, if one has to choose between searching for God and searching for truth, search for the truth. For searching for the truth will most certainly lead you to God. So Jesus' death makes born again possible. Second is Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection. In Romans 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Another passage, 1 Corinthians 15 says, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. How important is this? Very important. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus conquered death. He validated his claim to deity and demonstrated his power to give life, spiritual life, so we can be born again. So what makes born again possible? Jesus' death. Number two, Jesus' resurrection. And number three, a response. It's our belief in these truths. Our belief in these truths. Truth brings us to reality. It says everyone who believes in him, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Believe in Jesus. Now when we talk about believe in the English language, we, we think about intellectual assent. I believe, I, I know and understand this truth. But in Jewish thought, and in Jesus' words, belief includes thought, it starts with thought, but it moves to will and emotion and action. It's an active trust. Intellectual belief is inseparable from action belief. So to believe in Jesus and to believe this is to place your trust and confidence in the person of Jesus. It means to assent to his claims, yes, to trust in his person. It means to submit to his leadership and to give yourself totally to him. So when someone says, do you believe in Jesus? 
That's what we mean. That's what the Bible means. If you've never moved beyond just that intellectual belief, you'll get a chance later to do that today. So what are the results of being born again? What are the results? First of all, will not perish. Will not perish. This doesn't refer to physical death. The context is spiritual or eternal. Perish relates to our eternal state of being. And did you know that Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven? He talked more about hell than heaven. Some people just like to say, I don't like to think about it, you know, that, that's fine. Why would he do that? Well, why would I warn you about the dangers of living in Nome, Alaska? The cold, freezing climate that some people live in. Why would I do that as opposed to some warmer climate? I'd want to give you a realistic picture of what it's like. Then if you want to move to Nome, Alaska, be my guest, okay? Now, please take no offense. I'm not equating Nome, Alaska with hell, just, just so you know. <laughs> I preached this, preached this once, and literally we had one lady in the congregation that was from Nome, Alaska. So I, had, I was apologizing all over afterwards. But I would be remiss this morning, in all seriousness, if I failed to warn people about a place called hell a place of eternal punishment where people perish and there's eternal separation from God. Jesus warned us, I must also warn us. But we do not have to end up there. Jesus came to save us from there. Whoever believes in, places his confidence in, submits her life to Jesus, says, will not perish, but two, will have eternal life. Will have eternal life. In John 3, verse 18, it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. There's that contradistinction, that very demarked parallel contrast between life and not. So what is eternal life? What is eternal life? The word eternal means boundless or without boundaries. And we tend to think of eternal life just in in, in matter of heaven or hell. And it includes life after death, but eternal life has no boundaries in the future. It also has no boundaries in the present. Eternal life is then and it's now. It is a spiritual state of being that transcends time and space. It begins when we are born again and continues forever dead or alive. What's so incredible about eternal life is that it begins as a new start and it has no end. There's no end. People today have a lot of fear. People fear flying, they fear of being in tall buildings, fear of being in crowds, fear of small spaces. A lot of things are called phobias. Are they experiencing irrational fear? No, many times people just fear death because we don't know what comes after death. I will never forget an experience I had. It was a privilege. Judy's mother came and lived with us when she was 76 years old and had cancer, and she was, she, we moved her into her house, got, got her own bedroom, and uh, we were expecting her to last about four months. About 10 days later, 
she, she passed away. And in that setting, I'll never forget her last words. We brought our kids. We had two daughters. They were seven and ten, just turned 11, actually, at that point in time. And we all gathered around her, and her last words are, I want more. And we said, more what, Mom? She said, and she, it's like she saw something. She said, more of Jesus. And she was gone. We, we mourned, we went out in the hallway, we cried, we wept, and my, I'll never forget what my 11-year-old said to me. She turned up and looked at my face. And she said, I used to be afraid of dying. I'm not anymore. She saw her beloved grandmother, eternal life, going into eternal life, and knew that it was not to be feared any longer. That's an 11-year-old. Wow. What an incredible thing. I used to be afraid of dying. I'm not anymore. Because we are born again, life does not end at death. It begins at being born again and lasts forever, eternally. Now, there are some maybe here that don't believe in, in life after death. I can't prove to you that life exists after death. Only one person can, that's Jesus. And there are also some that do not think we can know for sure that we have eternal life or that we'll have life with Jesus after death. I talked to a lot of church people over the years, a lot of Christians that say, I don't know if I know for sure. Well, we can know for sure. How can we know? 1 John 5, 11 to 13 says this, and the testimony, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know. We can know we've been born again. We can know that we have eternal life. 1 John 5 says this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. The question is, do you want to be born again? Are you like Nicodemus, searching for truth? Are you like Nicodemus, wanting to be born again? We read in later accounts that Nicodemus did believe, and you too can believe. If you pray the simple prayer, says this, just just read it silently right now. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want to be born again. I admit I have made mistakes. I have sinned. I admit I cannot change myself. Thank you for dying for me so I can live. I believe you died and rose from the dead. Take charge of my life. I believe you can and will. I'm going to read that one more time. And if you've never prayed a prayer like that, or this prayer, pray it silently as I pray it. Read it on the screen and pray it silently. And as you ask God, you pray this prayer, you can be born again. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want to be born again. I admit I've made mistakes. I have sinned. 
I admit I cannot change myself. Thank you for dying for me so I can live. I believe you died and rose from the dead. Take charge of my life. I believe you can and will. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe it's the first time that you have had assurance that you do have eternal life, please tell me. I'm going to be standing in the back. Just let me know. We're not going to make any big production. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But if you did that, please let me know before you leave today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you gave us eternal life through Jesus and that we can have that. And it's the beginning of God's plan to save this planet. And I just pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, that we would again realize that we are forgiven because you died for us. You give us new life. And we thank and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I just encourage you not to leave today until you know that you have that eternal life. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.